Hi, I'm Johan Martinez Kalilian. As an executive coach, I time travel with people. I help people create their future from their future. One of our guiding principles as coaches is how future-based language transforms the way the world occurs to us. In other words, the way you speak about tomorrow shifts the way you look at the world today. It also shifts how you interact with that world. Join me as we write a letter from the future with love. Comfort is not a bedfellow for Kevin. Many of us would like to believe we aren't snuggled up to comfort, but if we're being honest, most of us are. We allow comfort to dictate so many decisions. Have you ever heard someone say they just want to make enough money to be, wait for it, comfortable? Maybe you've said that at some point yourself. Have you ever wondered why? I mean, are you in bed with comfort? Are you you snuggled up all nice and cozy? It, It feels good there doesn't it? Now, here, here's the thing. I'm I'm not judging you, right? Because I've been there. You're, you're not alone. But is that where your best life lives? Shannon L. Adler said that life always begins with one step outside of your comfort zone. In this week's episode, Kevin and I talk about his relationship with comfort, why he leans into discomfort, and how he said yes to a life of growth. Just, just briefly, Kev. Thank you, thank you for being, you know, on this show. I know you, you, you're busy. You got lots of things that are going on. You're always creating. I'm really, really grateful that you took some time out to to spend time with us and what we're creating here. As an introduction for you, one, you're just one of my favorite people of all time. Your your energy, your enthusiasm, your heart to serve, really is second to none. So I, I already feel like. Really, really fortunate, not only to have crossed paths, but to be able to collaborate with you. So thank you. Partners in crime. Come on now. Partners in creative crime, right? We are. Come on now. And we share so much, man. You know, I feel like it's, it's sometimes you have those kindreds, you know, and almost like the, the brother from another mother, like just from day one, I felt like that with you. So it's cool that we could, you know, continue to build. And today, what I want to talk about really is this relationship that we have as, as leaders, as communicators with understanding that the things that we're going to create that are meaningful in the world usually don't have a lot of comfort in them, right? And just just to throw it out first, like, what's your relationship with the word comfort? I don't, it's not a bedfellow for sure. It's not something that uh, I've enjoyed a lot of. Because I think also I seek to be uncomfortable. I seek to stretch. But I also, from my childhood, we just didn't have comfort. It was very challenging in our childhood. And so I think I learned, not even that, I didn't have that phrase, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It was just what it was. Being uncomfortable was just what we were navigating, what we were dealing with. And I think what I learned from that is this ability to navigate ambiguity, uncertainty, dysfunction, upheaval. Like I just found a way to do, because I had to out of necessity. Mm. And I think that has served me well, that 
when I look at the word comfort, I look at exhaling. And I'm always trying to stay in the athletic stance, bro. I'm always trying to stay ready, right? I'm not trying to get ready at all. I'm not trying to be reactive at all. And I think that stems from my childhood and just having to learn that skill to navigate all that we were going through. And I think it has served me well. So comfort and yeah. I aren't, aren't cool. That's, that's for <laughs> sure. We're not cool, right? And as soon as I feel like I'm getting comfortable, I always welcome something. I just always find a way to stretch myself or challenge myself. I start every day that way, right? Just working out, getting up early. Not because, oh, I'm going to flex and tell people I get up early. No, it's right. actually because I've learned that through being in the military, right? Mm -hmm. But it's also now my meditation time. Because mm -hmm. working out for me is not about 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon. I'm not training for that. I'm training for the day. So yeah. I like being a little uncomfortable to jump the day off. So yeah, so me and comfort, we ain't cool. <laughs> Damn, my homie. <laughs> well, even because you brought it up a couple of times, and obviously I know your story when you talk about childhood and what you experienced. Like for you, what was the greatest discomfort of your, your childhood experience? Because I know there's a number of things, but what's the thing that you're like, man, this was like the epicenter of discomfort for me? Family and belonging. Like just didn't have that. Like we didn't have a traditional family. We didn't have family structure. Both my parents were addicts and abandoned us. My grandparents rescued us. And so we didn't have a family unit that most people would understand. And my grandparents were older. So they basically said, you're going to have to raise yourselves. Imagine hearing yeah. that at six years old. I'm already dealing with discomfort right there. But I'd known it since I was an infant. We moved all the time. We slept in my mom's get high buddies' houses. We slept on porches and cars. We didn't have a sense of home per se, except when my grandparents rescued us. So right. it was always present. And you just start to learn how to navigate that and how to find ways to, I don't even think it was like trying to make myself comfortable with it, it was just how do I just get through this? Yeah. And you don't have enough wherewithal as a child to understand what you're navigating. It's just your, it's your day to day. And so I don't know that other people aren't dealing with that. This is my normal. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a big part of me understanding the discomfort that I came into the world with. Yeah. I'm, for me, it's like, it's interesting because when you think about some of the pain that you experienced growing up, you know, experiencing abandonment, uncertainty, like who, you know, who are our parental figures? Oh, okay, so now it's going to be grandma and grandpa. And you would think that the natural inclination would be because of the discomfort that I experienced growing up, I'm going to choose comfort for the rest of my life. I'm going to choose, you know, safety. I'm going to choose to live protected. But you went the other route. Like, why in the world would you do that? Yeah. And I think the reason I went the other route, and honestly, I think it's my curiosity. I just think that. I was always a kid that was a seeker. I was always a kid that was curious about things. And, you know, it started at that playground in our neighborhood, just, you know, walking up there because I wanted to play. So I was seeking out other kids and got welcomed into a group of boys there that became my boys. And listen, it was dysfunctional. <laughs> I mean, it was a crazy, eclectic 
locale. Like it was nuts up there. Like some of the stuff that went on at that playground, you know, you think about it now, like, my God, how did we get out of that? And how did we navigate that? And, and I just realized that my curiosity, I think was always, I guess I would say my curiosity always was an instigator for me. Mm. And it always made me lean into, well, what are you about? And what's your story? And what's going on here? And huh, that's interesting. And so I was that kid that was always really curious. And so I think that I could, I had good radar. Like if it was not a good situation, I knew how to bounce and get away from it. But I would always say, huh, what's going over there? And then of course, there'd be some people that would intervene from time to time too, that, that would grab me before I was too curious. Yo, mm-hmm. yo, yo. Mm-mm, that's not for you. You need to go. Okay. So I think curiosity definitely is that thing that has um, beckoned me towards being uncomfortable and stretching and also wonder and discovery and delight and surprise. And so I think all that was part of curiosity. So discomfort, yeah, is part of that, but it's also all those other wonderful things too. When it comes to even your pursuit of becoming a trainer, like there's there's so much of that field that is rooted in hey if you want to grow physically if you want to get stronger you need to you need to embrace this principle what was yeah. it about that arena or that field that said oh, okay like i actually i want to inspire people to get uncomfortable for the sake of growth in this arena i wanted to be around sports right so that was like the thing i basically made a promise to myself that I was going to keep a ball with me no matter what and be around sports somehow, some way. Didn't mm-hmm. know that I would end up becoming an athletic trainer, strength conditioning coach and work at the highest level in the NBA. But I just knew I needed to be around that. So just knowing what would get me out of bed in the morning and inspire me each day, that was that pursuit. I started to understand it from being an athlete in my own way, right? And playing sports, played every sport you could imagine, but it was never for trophies, medals, or first place. It was always for being a part of a team and community and belonging. I didn't care mm-hmm. about the outcomes. We won a lot and did well, but it wasn't that for me. I was always the super generous teammate, right? I'd give you that layup, right? And I might be wide open for it, right? Because I wanted to extend play. I didn't want people to leave. Because once again, it was belonging for me. So mm-hmm. sports became so important to me. And I started to realize even more so, how could I have a life with this? And of course, it was crazy, you know, twists and turns and everything. And then I found myself getting my undergraduate degree in athletic training and then getting my graduate degree in health education and then getting in the world of it. And so taking care of, you know, prevention of injuries, getting people back from injury getting people ready for the season, all those things I started understanding. There was a basic principle they gave us as athletic trainers, the SAID principle, S-A-I-D, specific adaptations to impose demands. So if I impose a demand on you, but I do it in the right way and I don't overwhelm you, you will grow. But if I overwhelm your body, you will break down because you'll be too sore. So specific adaptations to impose demands. So once we learn that and how to basically dole out the right amount of tension to someone and challenge to someone, but also we had to try it on ourselves. Mm -hmm. I realized that I loved being around people who wanted to get better, people who wanted to raise their game, people who wanted to level up. 
And then of course I started seeing it everywhere, right? It wasn't just in sports. And so that's really what it boils down to, I think is the said principle, specific adaptations to impose demands. Have you ever wanted something so badly, but it just isn't happening? Maybe it's scaling your business. Maybe it's repairing your marriage. Maybe it's making six figures. Maybe it's transforming your work culture. Maybe it's mastering a craft. No matter how hard you try, you just can't get there. Have you felt that sting? That uncomfortable pain? It isn't something to run from. Embrace it. It's necessary. It's absolutely essential. That's part of the price to pay to get what you want. If you don't have what you want yet, it's probably because you don't really want it as much as you think you do, or you aren't willing to pay the price to get it. You see, sometimes the price to pay is the lonely work, the work that no one sees, the work that means you don't get to go to the party or eat the junk food or stay out all night with all your friends. It's the work that embraces the momentary discomfort for the long-term pleasure. And do you really, really want that thing? I mean, do you want it that badly? Bad enough to say yes to that uncomfortable, lonely work? And you seem to be somebody who is actively searching out the discomfort, right? Like it's not, it's, it's almost, is it a reflex at this point? Like, are you just doing it instinctively or is it an intention? I think it's both. I don't. I think it's instinctual now, but it's also an intention. My mm-hmm. grandfather would say, pay attention to your intention. Mm-hmm. Right? And so my intention is to always model for folks what I ask them to do. Mm-hmm. And I can't be talking out both sides of my mouth. So I got to be able to, with, with a level of certainty and conviction, yeah, I did this today. Yeah, I'm doing this. Yeah, I'm doing that, right? Oh, wow, you about that. Yeah, I'm about that. Right. So now how do you raise your game for the things you're about? It's not about you being like me. Right. How are you doing your level best? And so Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely instinctual over time. Right. It's learned behavior. But I also think I made a commitment to an intention. And each and every day I re-up and recommit to it. I think that's absolutely what happens every morning. See the light of day. Right. Count my blessings. Have a little bit of pause before I leap out of bed. Okay, let's meet the day. It's kind of yeah. the way that I look at it. Let's meet the day and then let's go. It's on. Yeah. And because you're human, we all drift towards a comfort zone. For you, what are your comfort zones and how do you stay mindful of those places for you? It's so funny because I'm going at a rate and a pace that not everyone would be comfortable with. My comfort is when I'm I pause and I'm still. And so It's not a thing I run away from. It's a thing I know I need. So being still is that time that I will actually lean into being comfortable because I know it's about me replenishing them. Mm. So I know that I'm not a bottomless well of energy. I've got to replenish. I got to recover. So I'm, I'm intentional about that. So I have my be still moments. I have my rituals around that. I have very specific things that I do when I, finish a performance, whether it's virtual or, or IRL now, right? 
more virtual than IRL, but I've been doing some IRL stuff now, right? Live stuff, yeah. which has been actually crazy. The energy expenditure for that is, has become really different, more so than what I remember pre-pandemic. And so what I started to understand is my rituals still have to stay true and consistent. So I come home, I'm fully home. I cross a threshold into my house. I'm as present as, as I can be. And that's a level of comfort and security for me. But it's also me showing my family that I'm back and that I'm there and I'm there for them and I'm available and I'm not on stage still. I'm not reliving moments or whatever. I'm here. And mm-hmm. so that's one thing for sure that I do. And you know, I don't get in my car when I first get back from off the road or even now, you know, I walk from my house to my office space. That's really important for me to be grounded in my neighborhood. So that's a comfort of feeling like I belong somewhere. Right, right. But once again, it's important for me, right, to mm-hmm. feel that, right, and to feel reconnected. But it also is serving as replenishing me and helping me with my recovery. So, yeah, I'm not, I would never look at those moments of comfort as being any way a warning sign or something to be aware of. No, I think. I need to be aware of them because I need them. Yeah, because I because what I hear is a difference between living consciously so that you're actually choosing to step into comfort for the sake of re-energizing, replenishing. You know, it's it's you got different gears, so you're choosing consciously discomfort. And there are some reflexes there too, but you're also choosing consciously to move into a place of comfort, as opposed to what I think most people experience is all right they almost robotically kick into comfort zone. They don't go after the scary thing. They're not chasing the big dream. You know, they're, they're playing small. They're, they're becoming a victim. You know, they're blaming the world um, because that is what keeps them safe and protected and comfortable away from rejection and failure and all those things. But you're saying, you know, I don't, I don't choose to do that because comfort isn't my enemy. It's just something that I utilize as a tool to get me put back into, okay, I'm going to get uncomfortable again. So it's a nice little dance that you, you, you play there. Oh, absolutely. It's a partner in crime for sure. Like it, 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 it knows its role with me and I've established that and I welcome it. And I think that's the difference is I know I'm not going to be there long. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of people want to settle in there and stay there, right? right? They want to high themselves, right? Yo, dude, <laughs> I, we kind of did it. We good. We good, right? Let's stay right up in here. Yeah, right? No. As soon as you do that, you know what's up, right? And yeah. so there's a thing in, in athletic training, human performance. It's this never go to full rest, stay in active rest. So active rest is never where you shut it all the way down. You turn that burner all the way down. You always make sure you've got a little bit of mobility, a little bit of energy at the ready. So let's say you're on vacation, still go for walks. Maybe you're not working out the same. You're giving yourself a little bit of a break, but you're still going for walks, hikes, right? You're moving your body. Maybe you're doing yoga, but you're just doing something to keep your physiology sparked and moving. Hmm. But when people go to full rest, I promise you, Something's going to come that's going to make you have to ratchet up and you will not be ready. Yeah. And then you're going to have all this regret like, oh, I can't believe I let myself go. I can't believe I did. Yeah, well, don't go to full rest. 
go to active rest. You've been in the training room with plenty of great athletes. Was there anybody that inspired you in this regard to be like, man, they, they, they really chose discomfort or the uncomfortable thing consistently for the sake of growth. It's like they had a pattern or way of being where they, they just understood it. And that's why they actually potentially superseded expectations or they went beyond maybe what their potential was because this principle was so deeply embedded in their core. Was there any like names that stick out? I got to get some L's when I was with the Sixers with that guy behind you, Michael Jordan. So I got to <laughs> try to see that, right? Yeah. Tangentially, but I also knew his trainer, Tim Grover. So I knew mm-hmm. Tim, right? And so I got to witness that, but but I also had a unique partnership and friendship with Kobe Bryant, with Bean. And so I'd known him since he was 13. So I actually got to watch him grow into that, Mamba mentality. I got to watch him start to embrace being uncomfortable, right? And being a willing partner with it. And all for the sake of getting better, raising his game. Not necessarily that he was trying to win this or that. He's like, I'm not going to let that happen again. Hmm. Scoring zero points in summer league in Philly. His first summer in summer basketball not letting that happen again. And that really kind of ushered in that mentality for him and that intention. And then it just started elevating as he started learning more and more about his body, about training, about performance, about the game. And then all you kept seeing was him leveling up. Obviously, he used Michael Jordan as a tremendous model around that and ends up working with Michael Jordan's trainer, Tim Grover, after Michael retired. Yeah, there are certain stories that really inspire me about Kobe. One of them being an Allen Iverson, actually. Ha, that's uh, a your good boy, story. Your boy, Allen Iverson. Was, you know which one I'm, t- I'm talking Bobby about? Chuck. Yes. I, and w- we can talk about the other side of... <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So that's the thing is Allen Iverson's. you know, he, he talks about, I believe it's when they were rookies or really yeah. in the early stages of their career where AI is like, yo, Kobe, we're going to go, we're going to go party. And Kobe's like, oh, I'm about to go to the gym and work out. And, and he was like, he, he didn't quite click into it then, but he realized what differentiated him from Kobe is like, and that Mamba mentality and that willingness to put in the extra work, even if it, you, were, you were missing out on some partying or some of the, the feel good and the fun. And ultimately, that's why Kobe got five rings and, a, and AI fell short, right? Where Bean was willing to put in the uncomfortable work to be great. And AI, I think, was living off of his talent, where when you look at just from a talent standpoint, man, this man had all the gifts. But what he's infamous for is, we talking about practice. And it's real. <laughs> right? I, I was there his rookie year. I, I can, I can, no, he did not like to practice. He waited till we scrimmaged. Hmm. He did not like it. Didn't touch a weight. Probably one of the fiercest competitors I've ever seen. Oh my God. Right. All state football player, all state basketball player. Right. I mean, brilliant and both amazing artist, which a lot of people don't know about AI. Amazing artist, gifts upon gifts upon gifts. But he also took them for granted. Mm -hmm. And had he worked a little bit more. Right. That would have made all the difference in the world. And I know that story you were talking about. 
you know, I mean, it was been recounted a gazillion times around the fact that they had just played a game, actually. Mm. Everybody likes to stay overnight in L.A., right? Extra day or two, right? right? Teams like to just hang out there. And he and Bean and Bubba Chuck, that's what we called him, AI, Bubba Chuck, were talking like, it, you know, in the tunnel or whatever. Hey, what you getting ready to do? He's like, I'm getting ready for a party. And then AI said to Kobe, what you getting ready to do? He said, I'm getting ready to go to the gym. Yep. Go to the gym. And Allen Iverson actually talks about that. That was the difference between us. Mm-hmm. And yes, that's a regret of his. That had he committed even a little bit more and not just relied on his talent, his gifts. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Who yeah. knows what would have happened? But I think, you know, you make a choice. You yeah. make a choice, right? And I would never say that Allen Iverson wasn't a warrior when he played. Yeah. But he wasn't willing to do the lonely work. That's what I call that uncomfortable work. I call it the lonely work, right? Where no one tells you to do it. No one's going to pat you on the back, give you kudos and accolades and tell you that's amazing. No, you put the work in and you trust and believe that hard work never goes unrewarded. You just put that work in. Yeah. And there's another story, actually, when you talk about the lonely work that is in George Mumford's book, The Mindful Athlete, Mm -hmm. where he basically talks about Kobe He's like, okay, my three-point percentage is not where I want it to be. And he's like, what am I going to do in the offseason? Every single day, I'm going to make, and I may not get the number of three-pointers right, but let's just say it was 6,000 three-pointers. or I think it was 1,600, actually. That's what I believe the number is. He's like, every single day, I'm going to go to the gym, and I'm going to hit 1,600. I have to make, not just take, right? Because yeah. that could be one thing. It's like, I took 1,600 and I made 450 or whatever. He's like, no, yeah. I'm going to go I'm gonna go to the gym and I'm going to make 1,600 three-pointers. Talk about lonely work. Talk about doing the uncomfortable thing because I'm sure there were days where he wanted to hang out with his wife or his daughter or fill in the blank of all the other things that you could do in the off-season, right? But that's what, again, separated him from the pack where mm-hmm. when nobody's watching, I'm willing to do the most uncomfortable thing possible for the sake of achieving mastery at my craft. Yeah, and I think if you read, um, Tim Grover has a new book on, it's called Winning. You should read that. It's really revealing. Because I got relentless over here. Yeah, so this is his next book he just did. He just dropped it maybe earlier this summer. But it's amazing because it Mm. really gives you that mindset and the willingness he talks about MJ, talks about Bean, he talks about Dwayne Wade, he talks about what their willingness was, right? right. But he talks about winning like it's a person. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool, actually, uh, you know, that winning don't owe you anything. So it doesn't matter that you won today. Tomorrow's another day. And here we go. And are you willing to put in what you need to to win again? Because winning owes you nothing. Right. doesn't owe you just because you put all that work in all that time, all that effort. It doesn't owe you anything. You have to be willing to put that work in so that you have a fighting chance. That's the difference. It does not guarantee you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people want to pay off all the time. Well, right. well, I did all this, so I should get this. Right. So you're asking for the reward, but that's not guaranteed. Yep. And the reward is the comfort piece. 
And I think that that's the, you know, that lonely work and all that is just trusting and believing that hard work never goes unrewarded, but maybe just not on your timeline. Because the reality is, right, if, you know, if you're consistently choosing the momentary pleasure, you're going to experience some long-term pains. But if you flip it and you're like, okay, I'm choosing the momentary pain, you're going to experience some long-term pleasures. And, and that's what I hear is in terms of the lonely work, you know, even I think of my, uh, my mind goes to Damian Lillard, where we see a guy who's so clutch. We see a guy who can hit 40 foot three pointers. And what he talks about is, look, I, I wasn't the biggest guy or the most athletic guy. So what did I, I do? I chose to consistently work on this type of shooting when nobody was there, when nobody cared about me, you know, Weber state guy, it's like, who cares about this school? How many greats come out of that school? He goes to Portland, which, you know, it's not like this is the, the basketball mecca of the world, but he's like, I'm going to do this work. I'm going to choose the momentary pain. And then before you know it, he's really one of the most elite clutch performers in the NBA because of choosing that pain. And I think every great, you know, we're talking about sports specifically right now, but no matter what arena you're in, it's what momentary pain are you choosing for the sake of the long-term pleasure, for the sake of the long-term vision? I mean, part of me wants to even hear from you. It's like right now at this point, because I feel like you've achieved so many things. We could talk about all the accolades and things you've done. But what would you say right now? Like, what's the momentary pain you're choosing right now for the sake of the long-term pleasure? I think, quite honestly, I made a decision during the pandemic to pivot in a way mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to be a victim. I was going to be a fighter. I was going to be an optimist, not a pessimist. And I just believe that, look, I'm not looking at this as, oh, it's, it's going to be done in a few weeks. We good. No, it'll be right. done when it's going to be done. So let me lean into this and figure out how I can raise my game. And I think that mm -hmm. decision and a lot of my friends point out, yo, you were like saying that in March of 2020 before it even unveiled its full self, this global traumatic event, you already said, yo, I'm just telling you now, this might be here and I'm not going to wait. So I doubled down on optimism and positivity and took a series of courses through University of Penn and Coursera over 20 weeks and got a specialization in positive psychology. I doubled down on look and feel of my office space so I could have production level uplifted, right? And elevated connectivity, all that. I said, because look, we might be on this for a while. So let me be mm -hmm. available. Let me be, you know, connected. Let me be able to share the thing that I share best, inspo and energy. And so my friends now go, yo, you were like peeking around the corner or something. I'm like, I just had this intuition about it. And it didn't matter if it was going to be over earlier or not. I was still going to be better for that decision versus people waiting for something to happen to right. them. Let me instigate something happening for me, not to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think of just the idea of planting seeds. You know, I think of what it means to not only plant seeds for yourself, but for society as a whole. Because that's part of what I hear you saying, too. It's like, okay, I can show up like a victim. I can show up waiting. Or I could keep planting proactively with initiative. And it reminds me of this proverb, a society goes great 
when old men plant trees in whose shade they shall never sit. Yes. So even when when we talk about that, like what, like how does that speak to you when you hear that proverb? The willingness to be selfless and to recognize that you're creating legacy and recognize that that's your bigger story. And so how are you leaving it better than what it was? And that's always been a thing my grandfather would talk about, right? Is how are you making others better? How are you helping others? Your servant leader. I learned that from my grandfather, right? That was the work that he was in all the time and saw him in his church, saw him, you know, the way that he carried himself. So I've got his sensibilities in many ways. So understanding that I'm willing to be generous of spirit, to serve, to plant these seeds, that I may never sit in the shade of those trees, but I know that I've actually been generous of spirit that I'm going to do this. And so there's this whole idea of, you know, it's similar to what you were just saying, work for a cause, not for applause, live life to express, Mm -hmm. not to impress. Don't strive to get your presence noticed, just make your absence felt. Mm -hmm. And I think about that every single day. How did I make it better for others today? What did I do? Mm -hmm. What did I offer? What was I of service for and on behalf of every single day? And so when I hear that proverb, oh, absolutely. I'm trying to rep that every single day. And I grade myself at the end of the day. Film don't lie, right? So I grade myself at the end of the day before I lay down what went well today and why, right? I learned that through my positive psychology program. Three things that went well and why. If you actually think about that before you go to sleep, that's what's going to be on your head when you lay your head down. Three things Mm -hmm. that went well and why. Because the why part lets you know, oh, if I keep that behavior up, I can keep having impact. I can keep stacking these micro wins. That's the way I grade myself out at the end of the day as it relates to, did I plant those seeds? Did I water them? Did I nurture them? Did I do my part? Yeah, because I, you know, even when it comes to this quote and, you know, part of the show that we have here, you know, from the future with love, if we saw that the world had a need and, you know, if we say in 30 years, there are no trees, if we could time travel, would we start planting trees? Would we say, okay, I'm going to go back 30 years from now to just plant a whole bunch of trees so that the future that I live in would be vastly different? For us here, I'm thinking, like, what do we need to be consistent in planting so that our future can be vastly different, right? Like if it is about how do we plant seeds right now so that in the future, we all live in a growth mindset. We, we all consistently choose discomfort for the greater good. You know, if you were a time traveler, would you spend some time planting those types of seeds or what would be your, your seed of choice? My seed of choice would be inspiration for the next gen. I would want to be making sure, and this is, I think, what I'm doing now, actually, is it's an intention of mine, right? Is to model for the next generation of leaders, makers, doers, and dreamers, right? What's possible. And to be a man of color and to get an opportunity to be in some of the circles that I'm in, I always want to make sure I'm throwing the rope back over for someone else to see this. And I'm doing it in my own kind of subtle way. I'm not on some full flex about it. I'm not posting about where I've been or what I've been doing on social. That's not the way. It's, that's not me. I'm curating for that person I'm going to bump into. The things that you see in my office are all for someone else. 
I love being surrounded by inspiration, but I know it's going to spark someone else. And when that person arrives, I'm at the ready. I have it for them. Yo, have you seen this? Here, take mm-hmm. it. So I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing because people did that for me, right? They modeled right. inspiration. They modeled possibilities. They let me see that someone that looks like you can be here. You may be the only one in that room, but maybe you won't be the last one in that room. So you need yeah. to be ready to show up in those rooms. You need to be ready to navigate that. You need to be modeling that because someone's always, streets always watching, right? Heard that all the time as a kid. Streets are always watching. So what are you doing? Because someone's watching. Mm-hmm. And the more I started to understand, I said, okay, so how can I show up for that next gen? How can I be modeling this for them? That this is available for you. So I think my seed of choice would be inspiration, right? But also just modeling what's possible. And, and I really think that inspiration and what's possible can be an unlock, can be a cheat code. So I want to be a human cheat code, right? I want to be an unlock for others. A client of mine who plays in the NHL had a string of games that he just wasn't happy with. During a session, I asked him to write down the top five things he was frustrated about, the things that are happening that he wishes weren't. After he did that, I asked him to write down a reason that he's grateful for each of those things he just wrote down. And after I invited him into this exercise, he looked at me like I was, you know, a little bit off, a little bit crazy. Why would I be grateful for something I'm frustrated about, he said. So I paused and I asked him if he was entitled to the outcomes that he wanted. And he looked at me and, and he just shook his head. No. Why well, I... I I want to give you some feedback because as as it occurs to me, I told them, your frustration is rooted in entitlement. You think you're entitled to certain outcomes or experiences. Now, the good news is that's just a lens, a way of looking at your circumstances. You have other options unless you want to be frustrated about things not going the way that you want them to. Now, he took a beat. He kind of looked at me. With like, okay, let's let's try this out type of look. And, and he started to write down what he's grateful for. And you could see his demeanor shift. You could see that entitlement lifting. He started to say, I'm, I'm grateful for how I can grow. I'm grateful for developing my awareness. I'm grateful I get to work on my character. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. You know, we were talking about it earlier, actually, but there are things that get in the way from this way of being. There, there are things that prevent us from choosing consistently the growth that it will take to, to plant the trees, to make a better world. One of them, I think, is entitlement. And I believe that we live in a very entitled generation right now. And when it comes to, as you talked about, inspiration, like how do you inspire people to move away from their entitlement or even to like to notice it so that they can choose a higher road. I think what ends up happening, honestly, is when they see someone who shows up consistently the same way, they take notice of that because we're competing for their attention, right? Because they've got so mm-hmm. many things to take their attention and pull and da, 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 right? So first of all, I always pay attention. I'm competing for your attention. 
So now, how do I get your attention? Be consistent. Because they're counting on you being inconsistent, sometimes. No, I'm going to be consistent. And then what I've noticed with a lot of young people is they, they, they kind of come towards you a little bit. They sniffing around. Like, you real or you fake? And when they see you're consistent, hmm, they get a little closer. Hey, can I ask you something? Sure, what? Da-da-da-da-da. Ba-da-da-da. That's what's up. Okay. Then they come back again. Now, they might not be telling their friends they're bumping you, right? Because this is something that they're trying to navigate and figure out for themselves. These are questions that maybe they can't say to their friends. Maybe their friends Mm -hmm. would respond in a way that belittles them. So they've now found someone in a me that I can ask the questions that have been sitting on me, that I've been pondering, and I didn't have anyone really to ask because my family's my family and I love them, but I need an outside voice. And so this is what I start to understand about entitlement is that a lot of these kids, they're just doing what they're seeing, but they've got questions. You remember what it was like when you were in your teen years, formative, you've got lots of questions. But if I'm getting all my answers from my device, <coughs> that becomes my truth. Right. So then I start falling into this entitled mentality until I get shook by something, mm-hmm. right? I get rattled. I get rocked back. What's been one of the biggest things happening during the pandemic? Well-being, especially with young people, because they've not had to navigate upheaval, ambiguity, right? Everything's been kind of rolling nice and smooth for me. But the kids who have had to deal with some tough stuff, they actually elevated or they realized I need some other tools. Where do I get these tools from? And they started seeking. Mm -hmm. And so you started seeing people who were consistently modeling certain behavior really thrived during the pandemic because kids Mm -hmm. were seeking. I need a tool. I need an olive branch. I'm, I'm drowning here. I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. This is hard, way harder than I thought. And so I think that's yeah. what I believe is important, is continuing to show up that way and being consistent. And that's how I think you can get them to, to break them down from their entitlement and start to want to elevate their life. And I think, you know, that's one of the gifts of the pandemic is jostling people out of our entitlements. Because, you know, once upon a time, oh, I'm, I'm entitled to go to school or not go to school. And then it was like, boop, that's taken away. And the gratitude for the ability to go to school consistently, or I'm entitled to hang out with people whenever I want. I'm entitled to fill in the blank of all those things that we thought were a given or that we deserved were now no longer as accessible. And if we don't slow down to take note to say, wait a minute. Maybe the things that I thought were a given are not really a given. Maybe I'm not entitled to a certain type of existence. So maybe I can actually be grateful for some of the the everyday comforts that I experience. Because now we've all been pushed into a place of discomfort, whether we liked it or not. And I think that's the thing that if we're we're not good at these types of conversations, we won't notice how we're interacting with it, right? Because some people are in the pandemic and they're blaming and it is victim world. There's some people who are in the pandemic and they get empowered and they choose gratitude and they start to look ahead and they create, you know, and not to, to make one good or bad necessarily, but it's like, hey, let's just notice. Let's just notice how we're interacting with the inevitable state of a global pandemic that was thrust upon us. And if you don't have the tools, 
you're going to show up with it. You're going to show up to it with the same old, same old. Yeah. And you're going to kick and you're going to scream and you're going to act like a victim. And ultimately, I mean, what you're going to do at the end of that is not going to get you great results. <laughs> no, not at all. And you know, it's so interesting when you bring that up. One of the professors in the program I did at University of Penn and Coursera was Adam Grant. And he's, you know, noteworthy author, scientist, researcher. And so he was doing a talk with the U.S. Olympic team before they went to Tokyo. And he talked about post-traumatic stress versus post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in that conversation, he said, this global traumatic event, the pandemic, has broken some people. He said, absolutely has broken them post-traumatic stress. But he said a lot of people grew during this time and you didn't know it. And mm-hmm. then he cites four areas, right? Greater personal strength, deeper relationships. The thing you just talked about, greater appreciation for things you took for granted. And fourth thing was a higher sense of purpose or possibilities. So mm-hmm. if you had any one of those four, you've actually grown during this. And he wanted to point that out to everyone, that you need to actually take stock of that, that that's not a casual thing. You have way more grit in you, way more resilience in you than you probably realize, but you hadn't had to go up against a crucible. You didn't have a challenge that was notable enough to rock you, Mm -hmm. to make you uncomfortable, to present Mm -hmm. discomfort. And so how did you lean into it? Did you? This isn't fair. I don't like (laughs) this, right? Or, okay, let's dance. Let's dance. And that was a choice, right? Did you choose comfort, victim? Oh, wow, what was me? Or, okay, I'm uncomfortable. What am I going to do with it? Yeah, and it's just, it's going to be nonstop, right? And like I said, the pandemic really forced everyone to confront it. Um, I just had, right. It's like everybody, you can't, you can't escape it. But, but, you know, in my work as a coach, one of the things that I love is helping people flip their perspective to notice how they're relating to what's in front of them. You know, I just had a call actually today where one of the clients I'm working with, he's the CEO of a fitness company and he's like, oh, well, I got some good news and bad news. So he gave me the good news. And then he said, the bad news is a competitor popped up that pretty much provides the same service that we provide. What I love to do as a coach is like, okay, how can that be good news? You're calling it bad news. How can we flip it? Because again, there is an entitlement there. There's a, there's a pain and a discomfort around, oh no, now we have competition instead of saying, wait a minute. So I'm not entitled to living in a world where I'm the only person who has this idea, right? And now let me flip it and say, how can this actually be the best thing that ever happened to me? How can I be grateful for it? And it was so interesting because <laughs> he was like, I don't see how I can be grateful for it. Like, there's no, I just don't get it, you know, like, and you could see like the, the bumps in the road for him. But then eventually as he starts to realize, oh, I think I'm entitled to certain things as a, from a business perspective. And, you know, I deserve this mm. and that instead of being like, hold on, let me walk away from that and say, I deserve nothing. How can this actually be something that I'm grateful for. And then it's like, okay, I'm grateful for the lessons that I'm going to learn. I can be grateful for the potential collaboration here. I can boom, 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 boom. You know what I mean? And then the list starts to come up because at all times, we can be grateful for what's in front of us instead of choosing 
the entitlement road. And at times, yes, that is uncomfortable to choose the gratitude for the thing that you think is quote unquote messed up. Yeah, not fair. And and but what did I say earlier? Winning don't owe you anything. Oh. Doesn't owe you a thing, right? It doesn't. And the more you understand that, you keep showing up each day, right? To fight the good fight. And I think that's your choice. But as soon as you yeah. like high five yourself, shoot, we got this, we good. Guess what's gonna happen? <laughs> Discomfort is awaiting you. At all times. And maybe we'll close with this. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Because as you see, like I, I just love coming up with different questions to, to pop around with you. But, you know, because this is a future-based show, you know, I want to think about stuff like if we were to imagine if, if everybody in our world embraced this truth, right? Where it's like there's discomfort, there's this discomfort that we step into consciously for the sake of growth. Like how would that shape a better future, a better tomorrow? Like, what type of world do you see if we all get it? I just think that the world will absolutely embrace these moments of upheaval and ambiguity and uncertainty with a level of vigor and verve and energy. Like, okay, let's dance. Let's go. I've been preparing mm-hmm. for this. I've been preparing yeah. for this moment. And so here we go. And I'm not in any way overwhelmed. I have a level of calm, right? I have a level of confidence. I have a level of studied confidence, if you will, that I've been preparing myself for this, so let's go. And I think that's such a telling thing. Who are those people yeah. in the most ridiculous environment of chaos are calm? Right. And they just have this knowing sense about them. We're going to find a way. We can navigate this. Let's figure it out. And we always see them in industries all over, right? It doesn't matter if it's sports, business, the arts, science, research. Guess what? Something's going to go wrong. I promise you. Mm -hmm. You have no control over it, but you do have control over your response to it. And that's that, it's not fair, or let's go. Like, and you get in your athletic stance and like, okay, let's go, let's dance. And I think that's really, you know, what the future holds for us is, do we choose to be in this place of I'm in or, oh, I'm not sure, right? I'm not sure if I really want to lean into that. And I want to keep modeling the attitude and mindset to lean in and embrace right. it, but also prepare yourself properly for it. Yeah, because I mean, could you, could you imagine a future where we're so prepared for the next pandemic? because of us embracing the discomfort of right now. Because if we kick and scream and we don't want to experience it, we avoid it. Or if we say stuff like, I just can't wait to get out of this. I can't, I can't wait to go back to normal. And guess what? You know, if it's 50 years from now where we go through the same thing, if it's 25 years from now, we don't create the tools to be ready. And I mean, politically in America, <laughs> there's a lot of upheaval. And again, instead of saying, all right, we want to create a different political world, what, like, what type of way of looking at this, what type of mindset do we embrace now so that we can create a better political future? So that, we, you know, when we, talk, when we talk about race relations, we talk, I mean, economic systems, we talk about education, you know, jail, the jail system, like <laughs> the justice system, you, you name it. We, we have tons of broken systems. And 
if we aren't embracing what we're talking about right now, which is like, hey, it's uncomfortable, right? We live in a broken world and there's a lot of broken systems. We can perpetuate it and complain about it, or we could say, man, you know what would be great? If we started to heal these things. So let's embrace the, the, the lessons from the discomfort so that in the future, we can do justice differently, right? We can relate to people who are different than us in a more beautiful way, right? We can fight diseases without fear. Like we just fill in the blank with all these things because now we're not running away from discomfort. Instead, we're running into it to, to create those trees in the long term. The decisions you make after this episode will shape our future. This transmission is from the year 2062, a world comfortable with discomfort. A world where we do the thing that doesn't feel good. A world that considers the choices that make a better tomorrow. In this brave new world, we sacrifice for the greater good. We sit at the table with those we disagree with and we don't run from what's painful. But this world is in peril. This world needs you. It needs you to choose the uncomfortable conversations that help others grow. It needs you to say no to momentary pleasures today for the sake of prosperity in the future. It needs you to forsake ego and walk the higher, harder, honorable path. My friends, please invest in the world I'm contacting you from. We need you. This transmission is from the future. With love. Thank you for listening to this episode of From the Future with Love. We are thankful to all of you for supporting the show during the year that changed us forever. Thank you for being a part of our community and for sharing our content on social media. Leave us a review and let us know what you think of this episode. See you next time on From the Future with Love. From the Future with Love was written and performed by yours truly, Johan Martinez Kalilian, produced by Rithu Jagannath and Matthew Jones, executive produced by Jason Jaggard, fact-checked by Rithu Jagannath, editing, mix and tech production by Hammond Chamberlain, photography by Jess Kaler, and graphic design by Ivan Lizarde. Thanks again, my friends. Until next time.